Welcome to The Thought Vault, where we learn to unlock our minds to live with more purpose and bold intention. I'm your host, Emily Vermillion. Take a deep breath and let's get started. Hi, everyone. In today's episode of The Thought Vault podcast, we are talking about how to use mindfulness to master relationships. In episode five, we talked about mindfulness being a wonderful tool and helping relationships flourish. Mindfulness is the practice of being present in a nutshell, and we've learned about how our brains and thoughts can truly influence the outcomes in our lives and nourish our relationships with others and more importantly with ourselves. Shifting our awareness to thinking and feeling in tandem is a skill that will keep you mentally fit and more capable of responding in ways to help relationships in all areas of your life get stronger and also in ways that can keep your own emotions more balanced and peaceful. And this is what we're going to dive into in today's episode. We've all heard that communication is key to a good relationship, and I'm here to echo that. There is no good relationship if there is no good communication. And the thing about communication is that it's an exchange of reactions to one another. In context of my closest relationships, communication has always been an integral part of good times and equally in part also with the bad times. As I've started practicing mindfulness, I've noticed a true difference in how I react to those closest to me and even those not so close who have opposing viewpoints from me. I mentioned in a previous episode that my family operates as open book. We are very close and it was our nature that emotions were never hidden. Yep, good, bad, and all the ugly. (laughs) And I've also been comfortable showing my emotions. And in the moment of pain or anger, that's not necessarily a positive thing. And I've realized through self-analyzation that there is a bit of good maybe that comes from that. And it's basically that I feel deeply. I have empathy for others. I'm attuned to how others feel, which makes me compassionate and have, you know, an empathetic mindset towards others and, and situations. Connecting with people in their heart is something I'm blessed to experience, but on the same, but at the same time, I can also feel very deeply negative emotions, and it's hard. I remember as a young adolescent when I first started dating Adam, he's my husband by the way, it was still at the age that we had to be driven everywhere by our parents. <laughs> my mom packed a picnic and took Adam and I and my younger siblings to a theme park near our house. It was a 45-minute drive that turned a bit chaotic with emotions running high, with excitement and stress. You know, sometimes all that can just turn into a negative situation. During the drive, childish squabbles between my siblings, themselves, you know, all of us in the car started to happen. We got to the parking lot and I remember just all of us kind of feeling like wrung out from the ride over there. It was just a bit stressful. Uh, and you know, it got loud. So with every, once everything settled down and we were getting out of the car and walking to the entrance, I remember my mom casually turning to Adam and saying, Adam, sorry for all, for all the fuss on the way here, but one thing you need to understand about this family, we love hard and we fight hard too. There's no in between. We just have big feelings. And she just, you know, gave Adam a a hug And my mom at the time couldn't have said it more plainly because it was so true. All emotions were allowed to be expressed in our house. And coming from a family of big feelers, 
you know, I came to understand that the health of my mind begins with my thoughts and how I'm thinking. I knew I could conquer emotions that I feel deeply on the negative spectrum, like anger and grief and frustration, and make a decision to not be caught up in the tsunami of negatives. And I was determined to learn how to quiet my mind and soften those feelings to essentially have more control because I could see and witnessed and experienced the out of control. So learning to train my brain to compute more efficiently and process thoroughly has been able to immensely help me grow as a wife and a mother, a daughter and a friend. And so when we are aware of our present, we can respond to others in a more grounded manner, which makes our interactions and relationships deeper and stronger. Learning to understand that most times when people are reacting to one another, their reactions are coming from a different place than what is actually occurring in that moment. It's a secret weapon to learn this, and it can make any of us an expert at communicating. Most times, people react to each other based on habit or something else that is going on in each person's mind, and often, literally, it has not much to do with that current circumstance. For example, you ask someone a neutral question, and they answer you in a very rude way, or even what you perceive to be a rude tone. Bam, just like that, emotions can come into play, sparking an argument or feelings of dismay. So let's pause here and figure out what just happened. It's simple. More times than not, we each have our own internal dialogues going on constantly in our minds of our own experiences, what we had happen earlier in our day, you know, what just internal dialogue of how we're just feeling physically even. Experiences that have occurred that have nothing to do with where we're standing at the moment. So there's an underlying underlying churn that's dictating our feelings and our responses to one another all day long. And rather than stopping listening and truly trying to understand what the other person is thinking or feeling, we are concentrating more on how that person is making us feel, which elicits a response produced from more than just what's happening in front of you or what the conversation is about. And it's our own internal dialogue and feelings that can get in the way of responding to the other person and really listening and trying to understand in an empathetic way what the other person is even trying to convey. So how do we counteract this? By learning to be present and truly listening to the other person rather than trying to determine what our own feeling is first. First, we need to try to respond with the mindset of the other person. In other words, you listen and try to respond in the same manner you believe that they are expressing. We don't have to throw our negative emotions around and live in states of anger, depression, or sadness. And that's where mindfulness comes into the equation. Mindfulness is about getting still, silencing those swirling thoughts that are constantly churning and those sensory triggers. We are trying to focus. It can be done. Uh, And once you practice it a lot, once you get in the habit of being present and focused, your whole day can be present and focused. It's really just about that pausing and that trying to be focused and intentional. When we are being conscious during interactions, we can respond more profoundly. Recalling from episode one, we learned that our brains are constantly looking to make that fastest and simplest connection. And these connections are trenched out over time and through our past experiences. Think about a pet peeve. They're basically short circuit feelings because initially the thing got on your nerves. So now every time that wet towel on the bed drives you bananas. Think about how this can be an explanation of how our brains work when we have conversations with loved ones. Approximately 90% of our days are habitual. 
which includes conversations. So if you are in the cycle of, you know, a less than ideal situation, interactions with loved ones over and over again takes a concerted effort to change that narrative. Your responses are being short-circuited to aggravation or anger or frustration. And the interaction with that person over and over again is clouded with those habitual feelings. Instead of allowing each interaction to stand on its own. One way I practice mindfulness when talking with Adam or my kids is that I practice pausing before my initial response. It sounds silly, but it sounds so simple, but it, it's really something that takes practice. I know that when I'm aggravated, I will repeat the same things because my brain is shortcutting to those habitual responses. You know, stop doing that. It's making a mess. No, that's not what I said. You never listened to me. You know, these, these immediate responses I have to a frustrating or something, you know, similar situation. By pausing, I'm putting myself in a more aware state, which positively shifts my response. As a mom with two toddlers, frustrations can run high between all of us. I mean, let's face it, it's, it's a hard thing being a positive role model at all times and teaching small humans how they should be rea- reacting, you know, in the same manner. And whether a parent or not, interactions with family and friends can be very testy sometimes. And, you know, we all end up modeling behaviors of those that we are closest to. In a nutshell, learning to quiet my brain's initial heightened state of emotions has made for a much calmer household, a much calmer me. And not just with the surface reactions, but intrinsically too, in a more deep and meaningful way, which in turn makes me less anxious and less depressed, less aggravated. In addition, when it comes to having conversations with adults, being mindful and quieting my thoughts so that I can focus on the conversation or interactions helps me have a more sincere and meaningful interaction. I'm responding to what I'm seeing and hearing, not what I'm thinking or feeling. Meaning I can focus more on what the other person is really saying. I can be present, really taking the experiences experiences that I'm having. And I can understand what I'm trying to convey rather than just blurting out my emotions, basically. It's a matter of really stopping and listening. This may sound odd, but take a moment to reflect on a more recent interaction with someone you love. And honestly, sometimes it's easier to think of an argument when emotions are running high. Do you remember what the other person was saying? More than likely not, but you do remember how you were feeling. And often we can have the insight that we overreacted about something or had an overinflated response to the trash not being taken out, for example. I know for Adam and I, we have had seasons where we have been in the bad habit of fighting about everything, you know, in quotes. When it started out as just being a little nitpicking thing, all of a sudden, the trash not being taken out turns into a throwdown of all the grievances we've had for the last 15 years. And words like never and always are used to describe one moment in time. Y'all know these types of arguments. And this is where mindfulness makes a difference because it makes you conscious of what is happening at the moment and keeps you square on what is actually getting triggered, making it a much more productive interaction. And it is so easy to get caught in the trap of not listening and instead taking it all personal. Studies have shown that immediately after listening to a 10-minute presentation, the average listener has heard, understood, and retained 50% of what was said. Within 48 hours, that drops off another 50% to a final level of around 25% efficiency. This shows that our brains, when not actively listening, are not computing our conversations at 100%. A lot 
of what is happening is being lost in translation. Think about how that can alter your thoughts and feelings about something when your brain can't even retain correctly a conversation. So listening is a huge piece of the pie when it comes to a healthy relationship. The next piece that's the largest, I would say, is managing expectations. And where do expectations come from? You guessed it, our thoughts. Thoughts are a large part of what our brains are filtering and categorizing all day long, using a lot of energy to clear and compartmentalize, which means that if we are blindly going through our day and allowing our thoughts to make our feelings, well then we can't be surprised when in our mind a circumstance has been completely overanalyzed or shortcutted to an existing memory or feeling that elicits a response that sometimes can be misappropriated. I know I've done this a lot. I will have an interaction and then think on it, filling in blanks because like I said earlier, I only remember 50% of the conversation correctly. And then I create my own conclusions of what the other person was thinking, what they were feeling, what they were expecting, which then creates my response to the made up elements that I created in my head because I was feeling in the blanks. Did you catch that? I was feeling in the blanks. I was using my feelings to dictate what a whole interaction was taking place, how it had taken place, and what I thought, basing that all on my own experiences. And that just creates a tangled mess. So not only am I assuming and placing my own expectations on someone else, but I'm also trenching out and making stronger reactions for my brain to use later when interacting with the same person. Do you see how this process builds up harmful or damaging walls that drive divisiveness? The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 2, in uh, the NIV translation, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. In the New Living Translation, it says, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. As I said earlier, we must pause when reacting and interacting and engaging with others. God made us with compassion. Through him, we can see others differently and with love. When we are focused on him and his truths of how we should interact, we are able to be in charge of what we are choosing to react to. And that is an amazing tool to be wielded. It is freedom. So let me ask you, can you take full responsibility for how you feel? Yes, the answer is yes. We can take care of our own emotional health through God's wisdom. We do not have to be dependent on others to provide joy to our lives. Yes, other people in our relationships make a huge impact on us. They grow us. They teach us. They make us stronger in our faith. When it comes to relationships, we are able to control the narrative we live with them in. By acknowledging our thoughts and understanding that we have control of how we feel. I think for this episode, it would be a great idea to do this exercise that really helps you practice mindful thinking. So I'm going to give you a moment and, you know, you can pause and go grab a sheet of paper and do this step by step as I talk about it. You can think about it in your mind. You know, you can come back to this. This is a wonderful exercise that truly gives you so much clarity. We are going to start by writing down our manual for a relationship. So you can choose what relationship you want to think about. It could be a sibling relationship, best friend, um, marriage, your your spouse, you know, your your dating relationship that you may be in, a mother-daughter relationship, father relationship, parent relationship, whatever. Think of a relationship that you might be struggling with right now. 
We all have expectations of ourselves, of others, and how they interact with us. And that's where I got the term manual. We have these manuals, so to speak, for how everyone in our lives should be acting. (laughs) So first, I want you to write out what your ideal relationship should look like. In whatever relationship you're choosing to focus on right now, write out what the ideal relationship looks like. What would be idyllic? What's the most important things that would make a great relationship in that in that situation? Then I want you to think about this relationship you have. Think about that person that you're in this relationship with. And I want you to write out how that person has let you down. Yeah, it's time to face it. <laughs> or it's time to think about it again. <laughs> List the grievances, big or small. What are ways you have felt the relationship is weak? Now take both lists and place them side by side. The work comes in by looking at the list of our ideals and comparing them to how we feel the other person has let us down. At this point, make that connection that those failures are expectations we've placed on the other person. Those failures come from the feelings that you have, from the thoughts that you are thinking about that other person and the situation that hurt you. This is teaching us that in order to have a working relationship, it starts with managing our thoughts. Go back to last episode um, before last, well, I guess two episodes ago, episode seven, when I taught you the method of CTFAR, circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, results. That method, and if you haven't caught that episode, go back and listen to it. I know it's going to give you tons of light bulb moments. But when you think about that, in order to have a working relationship, we have to grasp that how we think about someone is how the relationship is going to play itself out. When we have ideals and expectations that are created within our own thoughts, we are setting a standard that is internal, and it clouds clouds our interactions with that other person inevitably not giving us the warm and fuzzies when it's a strange circumstance, making our relationships feel very difficult. Having relationships that are healthy, and should I say healthy in our minds, is possible when we come from the perspective that we are the only ones in control of how we feel, and thus how we ultimately interact and build the relationship we wish to have. Just like with anything, when you practice, you become more skilled. And as we are mindful and intentional with our thinking, we can truly have a healthy understanding of how we feel and how we choose to interact with others. And that's a wonderful and very peaceful place to be when it comes to those important relationships in our lives. When we are able to address our expectations, our thoughts, our feelings, and let's go back to the facts about someone else, we have a much deeper understanding of where that person is coming from. And even if you can't make all those connections, you can still have a much stronger understanding of your own thoughts and feelings and expectations. And you can adjust those or you can let some go. And you can also retrain your brain to think new thoughts, creating new feelings and developing new actions and reactions, which ultimately will develop a new relationship. It goes without saying that some relationships are damaged. 
some relationships are damaged for extreme situations. And we don't have to make an effort to understand all of those. And sometimes, you know, that type of healing comes from, I would say, Christ and therapy and different types of interventions. But when we're talking about just our normal daily life, our families, our, our closest friends, definitely our spouses, our children, our parents, if we are walking in a state of mindfulness when we are interacting with them, you are going to feel mentally way more healthy and your relationship with and your relationship with that person will ultimately be way more healthy. Understand that most people are in their own minds all day long. Most people react to you with very little to do with what you're trying to interact with them over. It's a build up. Remember I mentioned how there's that churning underneath everything that we're doing all day because our internal dialogue is so strong and our brain is doing everything in its power to conserve energy. So if there's a similar circumstance happening, our brain's just going to compartmentalize it and check it off and say, well, this is how you feel about that and move on. So it does take diligent work. And it's not just as easy as, you know, writing these lists. But what this does is help you have a, a visual and help you go through, you know, in a moment in time and think about, wow, you know, they basically weren't meeting an expectation I had that they probably had no clue I had an expectation of. To have a healthy relationship, to master a good relationship, you have to have good communication and you have to manage your expectations and your thoughts because those two things are challenging you when they're not healthy in having healthy interactions with someone. And what is a relationship? It's nothing but a buildup of interactions. And so this exercise helps you see those two elements and make that connection that you have control over what you're thinking. You have control over the standard that you're setting for someone, this manual, so to speak, that you're writing for this relationship that you have. You can't predict people. You can't control them either. And you certainly don't know all the things that they are going through and are causing them to react to you. But you do have control over how you react to others, what you're thinking about others, and those thoughts that you have are creating the are creating the feelings you have about them. So if you want to love your husband again, you need to start thinking about how much you love him. Seriously, and you will feel that love. You have to have responsibility as an adult of what you're thinking because it it, it truly is the outflow of your life. And, we're, and when we are putting Christ at the center of that, when we are understanding his truths, like I mentioned in Ephesians 4 too, when we're told to be humble and gentle, wow, that speaks volumes. That tells me right there how I need to be responding to my frustration or when someone has disappointed me. Be humble and gentle. Make allowance for each other's faults because you have love. You have love for them, and you can have love for them even if it's been strained. By seeing them through God's truth and His lens, it's life-changing. So I hope this episode kind of brought some pieces together for you to look at your relationship as a whole and really have some tools to 
start practicing and think about. You need to pause before you're reacting to someone. You need to stop and listen. Try to just bleep. I'm not thinking about anything right now. I'm literally focusing on the words coming out of your mouth. And try to think about how the other person is feeling. Because when you can do that, you're having a mimicking type of mentality, meaning that you are able to respond similarly in the way that they are trying to convey what they are thinking and feeling. So you have a much stronger connection in that moment with them because they feel more heard. They feel like you're you're getting what they're saying. And that's a great way to truly be active in your listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Thought Vault. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. If you haven't, please follow me over on Instagram. My handle is at byemilyvermillion. Also, be sure to head over to the blog boldpearls.com. That's the hub for all the things. And you can check out free resources that I have available to you guys. Um, You can always check out the meditative prayers and things that we do on our Thought Vault episodes if you go to boldpearls.com forward slash meditations. I'm working on an upcoming episode and would love for y'all to send me messages about amazing miracle stories of God showing up in your life. Like those just out of the blue crazy things like you needed an extra dollar and someone came up and handed you a dollar. You can email me these stories at emily at boldpearls.com. I would love to hear them and I have a great uh, idea for an episode coming up and I want to um, incorporate some of these amazing God stories into that episode. So until next time, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12 2. Go live with bold intention, everyone. Bye for now.